Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. We've all been there. You want to lose weight, but you keep eating badly. You say you'll go to the gym tomorrow, but it ends up being next month. Perhaps you're unhappy in the relationship you're in, or you feel like your career is going nowhere. You just want to snap out of it, but you can't. What's holding you back? How do you get unstuck? Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to help you and your families live smarter and healthier lives. Today we're going to talk about getting unstuck. Yes, the excuses we make for ourselves, why we make them, and how to overcome them. Joining us today are Peggy Manchester, a board-certified coach and professional certified health and wellness coach, and Denise Irvin, a board-certified nurse coach, both of who work for Be Well, a Beaumont employee wellness program. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Happy to be here. We've all had an experience where it seems like we're not moving. We're holding on to something, or no matter what we do, it just doesn't seem to be advancing us. This is called being stuck. It's a mental, emotional, and physical experience, and we all know how frustrating that can be. Sometimes it can be fleeting, and other times it can last much longer. So how do we get unstuck? We're soon about to find out. Peggy and Denise, can you share with us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, well, as wellness coaches, we really partner with our clients to create the conditions that help our clients create their best thinking around change, whatever desired change they want to accomplish. So what is being stuck? Well, stuck is being stuck, not knowing what you want to do next, what it might look like, and in the same rut, a routine. So there's this great quote that we found online. Your body can stand almost anything. It is your mind that you have to convince. Right, it's that mindset. (laughs) The mindset is everything. What are some contributing factors of getting stuck? You know, how can someone avoid getting stuck? You know, there's lots of um, reasons why people get stuck. Sometimes it's because they have lack of motivation or they're not clear about what their motivation is. Sometimes they're not managing their stress effectively. Maybe it's a lack of confidence. There's many reasons why people get stuck. It could be that they're in some familiar patterns that they're just not sure how they got there or how to get out of them. Okay, so let's talk about these familiar patterns. Um, like if you're fe- feeling in a rut, how do, you, how do you get out of that? Well, sometimes, you know, sometimes a pattern is just a lot of what we do throughout the day or our weekly routine feels like a series of well-thought-out decisions, but, uh, or at the very least, conscious choices that we made. But in fact, a lot of times what we are doing is we're just responding to a familiar pattern or behavior or habit. So how do habits work? There's actually three components to a habit loop. It's known as a cue, something that triggers us, some type of routine, how we respond to that cue, and some type of reward that we're getting from the response that we're doing. Okay, so this habit loop thing, I, I feel like that goes a lot with relationships. Like if you get into a bad relationship, you get in this pattern of, um, you know, routine, it's comfortable, and then maybe it's not the best for you, but you have the reward of hanging out with someone, so you keep doing it, so, but then you get stuck in it. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great um, analogy. You know, when you really break down the habit loop to the three components, if I could explain them, you know, that cue or that trigger that, that elicits that routine or that response. And so that cue could be anything. It could be something like your mom's calling, your boss sends you an email about a meeting that he wants to have with you, or you open your um, email and you, there's way too many emails in your inbox, some type of cue that makes you feel overwhelmed. 
And then you have a familiar response of how you respond to being overwhelmed. So it could be when you're at work and you get overwhelmed, you start to look through your drawer for chocolate because you know somewhere in that in their drawer there's chocolate. Oh, I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> or or maybe the response is that you immediately pick up your phone and you distract yourself by looking on social media. But there's some type of response that you consistently do without even thinking about it. Yeah, so it's like a distraction, something to kind of get you out of that stress mode? It depends. It depends on what the cue is and depending on what you're trying to, what the reward is. So in that particular example, absolutely, you're trying to, um, when you're feeling overwhelmed, you're trying to distract yourself from feeling overwhelmed. Okay, so you're telling me that there's like a, there's a response, there's a way that you kind of distract yourself, but then, so how do you get out of that? Well, I think the first step is really awareness. So when you're thinking about what your routines are and the routines that maybe you want to change, think about what's the routine that you're consistently doing that you don't want to be doing. And then have the thought, okay, what's the reward I'm getting getting by doing that routine? And what's the cue that's triggering it? As a bedside nurse, this was, um, I totally got into this habit loop. And so if there was a stressful situation, a patient was going bad, or we're getting a lot of emissions, I actually would leave the stressful situation once it was over, immediately go to the break room, binge on all kinds of food, anything I could get my hands on, right? And then I would feel better. But what happened is that my I ended up getting sick, and I started feeling crappy. So I became more aware of this pattern, this stressful, every time somebody would code, we'd get more patients, something would happen. Denise was going to the break room. Mm-hmm. So I said, wait a second, I have to change this behavior. And that's where the habit loop came in for me. So the cue or the trigger was the overwhelm or out of control with the situation, mm-hmm. or do I, am I going to get it right? Then the, that was the trigger. Then the response would binge eat. And then the reward is that would allow me to calm down, gotcha. but only really for an hour, and then I would feel crappy. So then how did you change that to a healthy habit loop? So once I became aware of what I was doing, I actually made a decision. I want to stop this behavior. And I started discovering what could I implement inside of that besides going into the break room and binge eating on everything that was there. Mm-hmm. So I would take a breath. I would walk away from the unit. And to be honest, I realized it was the crunch that I wanted that would ground me. And so I ended up filling my lunch pail with carrots and celery and peanut butter and apples and nuts. And I would only allow myself what I brought. That's a lot of willpower, because I think I would probably still go and binge eat, even if I had carrots. <laughs> well, I would eat everything I brought. <laughs> so I still kind of binged eat, but on different stuff. But it was the initial stage of my awareness. Awareness, and then and, trying to break that And habit. now, 10 years later, it's completely broken. As a coach, how many people do you see that are stuck? And what are the common places that people are kind of stuck in their lives? You know, there's, again, there's all different reasons why people seek out a coach. I mean, I think that one of the, um, the three biggest reasons that I work with with clients is one is they really feel like they're stuck in a pattern of not managing their stress effectively, mm-hmm. and they want better tools on how to manage stress. And then um, most people say, I want to eat healthier. I want to eat better. I'm tired of the way I feel. I'm tired of the way that my body feels. I start off wanting to uh, eat healthy and I can't be consistent and I want to learn some tools how I can do that more consistently and then third is exercise you know I know that I want to get more activity in my life and I just can't seem to fit it in or I don't like to exercise so I think those are the 
three biggest reasons why people seek out coaching. So when people do come come there with that thought, how is it that you're able to get them over that? Um, Albert Einstein said, you know, we need to develop a new way of thinking so that we feel unstuck. But it's so hard to just get unstuck. I think many of us are, are motivated or we know what we need to do, but we're just not able to take the action towards doing that. Like for myself, I'm a highly motivated individual, but I have... I feel like I, I get stuck on certain things. Um, for example, like in, in my work, um, I like to dabble in a lot of different things. So I become very busy working on different things. I work in clinic. I do some media things. I'm teaching. I'm out in the community. I'm doing so many different things, and it keeps me very busy. But then I feel like I'm not advancing very much in my career. Like I'm sort of stuck doing getting more and more responsibility, but I'm not really going anywhere with it. Or maybe they're, they don't all fit together, and it makes me feel overwhelmed because I feel like I'm working so hard, but yet I'm not really going anywhere. I feel like a lot of people feel like that in the workplace is that they're just getting a lot more work put on them, but they're not able to kind of help. Their work is becoming bigger, but they're not really advancing in their career. Yeah, so I would ask, you know, I'm hearing what you're saying. You've got a lot on your plate. You're busy. You've got a lot of responsibility. You keep working. And there's a part of you that feels like you're not advancing in your own career. Mm -hmm. And I would step back and ask you, what's what's the most important piece here? What's the thing that resonates with you the most? And are you spending your energy and time doing those things? Right. Well, I I love being around people. And I feel like in all of the things that I'm doing, it is um, like outreach. I love doing outreach. And so I feel like all of the different uh, roles that I have, for the most part, I do that. But it just gets exhausting because I'm like, okay, I'm doing what I enjoy. And that's why I keep doing it. But yet, from a career standpoint, I feel kind of like I'm I'm not going anywhere. So again, what I'm hearing you say is that you're doing many things that you love to do. You're working with the community. You love to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so many hours in the day, and you feel like you'd want more hours because you feel like you personally is not moving forward. And so if we were to step back for a second, is there anything that you're doing now that you would want to do less of so you could have more time and energy to pursue other things? Yeah, I know. I always do that. Like once a month, I sit through and, and sort of write out, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. What can I cut out? And then I, I get really good at saying, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then somehow I get sucked back into it. So I'm like, I'm very, very stuck. Yeah. So sometimes it's reframe. Sometimes it's about reframing what you're doing and reframing your priorities. So if we, when you when you really step back and you look at all the things that you're doing, are you doing are most of the things that you're doing things that you want to be doing? Or do you need to set some boundaries with these things like, you know, that's okay them doing that, but I don't love doing that. You know, I had a client recently who said, you know, I'm only going to say yes to things that I really want to do if I can say heck yes to them. Because if I can't say heck yes to them, I don't want to do them. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. In fact, when my patients come to see me, a lot of them come in with depression. And one of the things I do is they'll, we'll, we'll draw out a life map um, right there on the exam table with the little tissue paper. <laughs> and um, I'll go in and I'll say, okay, what are, what's good going on in your life right now? Um, either draw pictures or, or write it out. And then I'll put another column and say, let's leave that blank. Um, what's not so good going on in your life right now? Um, and then what is your ideal, like the most happiest thing that you could possibly be? And maybe it's realistic or not. And so I, I leave the patient in there and I, I go out and um, come back in. And, and most of the time they do start writing things in. And, and we'll slowly see where is it that 
what are the unhappy moments or the things that are really bogging and stressing you out? Because I think a lot of people are visual. So if you actually write it out, because you can say it all day to your girlfriend or to your whoever, your spouse, and complain all day long, but you're not really able to take action. But I feel like these life maps are helpful because then you're able to see that, okay, it seems like there's a reoccurring theme here that you really don't like you know, maybe this part of your job, or you're really not getting along with this particular person. So how do we get an easy win here? Are there, is there anything going on in your life that has a ripple effect that if we took care of this, it might end up taking care of a couple other things? And so it's funny that I do that with my patients, I should really probably start doing that more so with myself. Um, do you guys do any kind of um, visuals or, or mapping or anything like that? Yeah, we actually, um, there's a couple things that we do. Um, and we really do find exactly what you said, that people are visual. And so there's a couple things that I've done and Peggy's done and we also have taken our clients through. One of those is brain dumping. So when your mind is in that mindless chatter and going on and shoulda, woulda, coulda, and I've got all this to do and what does it look like, they call it brain dumping. So you just get a piece of paper and you write down everything that's in your brain and you just dump it out of your brain. Like all the thoughts. All the thoughts. Just dump all the thoughts. Get them out of your brain and into onto a piece of paper. I'm stressed. I'm hungry. Yes. I'm late. I'm, I'm overweight. I need to... Right. I, I should have said that to my boss, you know... The kids were driving me crazy. Whatever it is. Whatever is on your mind, you get it out. You get it on a piece of paper. It might end up being a book for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you kind of pause. And you just kind of put it aside. Some people never read it. They throw it away, you mm-hmm. know. And some people look at it and say, okay, how much of this is really realistic? And they start crossing things off. So that's one of the things. And it really allows people to get that energy out of their, all that thoughts out of their, onto paper. The other thing that we do with clients is what we call a wellness wheel. And Mm -hmm. what that is, is really looking at all areas of your life, kind of like a car. So in order for a car to drive down the road, it has to be well-balanced, right? Well, so does our health and well-being. Will it always be perfect? No. And that's really what trips people up. We always want perfection. But in reality, health and wellness, is it's a journey. It's a journey. So the wheel gives people a visual of what area is their, what are their strengths, what area um, are they working on the most? What matters most to them? And what other areas may they want to work on in the future? So, for example, is it like um, emotional health, physical health? Mm-hmm. And so they might see like, oh, I'm really good at taking care of my emotional health, but my physical health is not doing so well, so I need to focus my energy on that. Exactly. And we even look at um, like media time, like how much are we spending on the computer and technology? Mm-hmm. Because what we've found is... Um, social media or some of the technology is also becoming distractions, right? So we might be, we might have a lot on our plate, but then we're, we're turning to our phone, checking social media or checking the email to quote unquote distract us. But is it really distracting? Yeah, it just stresses you out more. Right. And then how much time are we spending on it after we open up the email or open up the social media? So some people say that when you get stuck, it's because you don't know who you are. Like you have a limited perception of what you're capable of, or you don't want to find out who you are. So you're stuck on your own familiar story. So for example, I'm a single mom with, you know, um, raising children, and it becomes like this, this sad sort of story. Or you're living the expectations of what other people have of you, and you're not really doing truly what you want. Um, So societal norms. So maybe as a woman, they're saying you have to stay home with the kids, and you really want your career to be thriving. So what do you guys think about those three things as as limiting factors of getting to where you need to be and, and contributing to being stuck? So I, I think what you need to I think what you need to do is you need to you need to think about the story that you want to create. 
So when you when you when you step back and go, well, what what do I what do I want my story to be, and and start thinking about it in a different way, you have to sort of think about different uh, set up different ways of thinking and different pathways. Yeah. So our thoughts create our behaviors, which create our actions. So if we have a, a limiting belief or a living thought that we're not good enough, you know that monkey mind, that chatter? Yeah. We all have it. It's not going to go away. But how do we acknowledge it, become aware of it, and create an affirmation or transform our story? So experts say there's somewhere between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day that a person has. And, you know, the mind is a very powerful thing. But what tends to happen is that of, of those thoughts, 80% of them are supposedly negative. So when we're talking about those negative self-talk, like how do you, how do you get out of that mindset of negative self-talk? Well, this is where mindfulness comes in. Mindfulness is really a key component to um, changing our story or shifting our beliefs. And what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is really creating that space in our mind of being non-judgmental. So, for example, the thought comes in about, I'm not good enough. Did I do this right? The hundred thoughts come in that are negative. That thought comes in. We have to first acknowledge it. We have to be mindful. Okay, I hear you, monkey mind. I hear you, chatter. I hear what you're saying. But is that my truth? Is that what matters most to me? Mm-hmm. Is that really the honest? And ask yourself, is that true? Pause. No, that's not true. Without judgment. What they say is those thoughts are always going to come in and come out. It's our job to stop them, acknowledge them, and redirect them. That's our ego or our mind. Yeah, so um, I do community talks quite a bit, and uh, we did this talk on the eight dimensions of wellness, and we have this series about negative self-talk. And in it, there's an exercise where we have a person who gets up in the morning, and her alarm goes off, and she says, oh, I'm so stupid, like, I slept in again, so already it was like one negative self-talk, I'm so stupid, you already like put yourself down. Mm-hmm. And then she's like running through the day, and, and her whole day starts turning very negative, and she's not able to accomplish anything, because she's just so um, swallowed up in her day with all this negative self-talk. And so this exercise that we do is we have the community members go through and circle all the negative, the negative words, and then how do you reframe that? So it's like, okay, yeah, I, the alarm went off and I slept in again. Okay, fine. All right, it happened. Let's go. Let's move. Let's keep going. So mm-hmm. it's almost like disrupt, uh, dis, uh, distracting. Inter- yeah, distracting or interrupting that, that negative thought. Because I think sometimes it's hard for us to, whether it's true or not, you know, mm-hmm. I think I, if, if I'm like, oh, I, I slept in and oh, gosh, this happened again or something, it, it'd be hard for me to kind of stop and say, no, it's, it's okay. I'm fine, you know, or, you know, if you're kind of, if you have low self-esteem, which many of us do, or we're very judgmental towards ourselves, I think it, it's an evolving process to be able to say that's not true. Mm-hmm. But I think initially it might be easier to interrupt and say, you know what, let's stop there and let's just keep the day moving. And then maybe over time you can start analyzing and saying, you know, what, it really isn't true about myself. You know, it's just a thought that I, that I had thought of. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and change and transformation takes time. So it took a long time for us to get these negative thoughts, and it takes a long time to, for us to recreate those, those thoughts. And I think one of the key components is, is, is acknowledging them, and as Peggy mentioned, awareness. Mm-hmm. Becoming aware them. of that they're there, mm-hmm. because most of us don't even know that they're there. 
we go about our day and we don't even realize they're there. But once we become aware, then we have the opportunity to choose different and start to begin to change. Yeah, and we also say to help other people out too when they, they say them out loud. You know, when you say, oh, I, I misplaced my keys, and you kind of are like, you know, saying something bad about yourself, your friends can say, hey, nope, that's negative self-stop, stop it. Right. And so it's a way of just kind of becoming aware of how many times you're saying negative thoughts to yourself. Right. Um, yeah, self-compassion is a big piece of, to this as well. You know, we're not taught self-compassion, mm-hmm. but we need to really think about how would we, we need to treat ourselves like we would treat our best friend or our child. And there's and that's been a, really hard, yeah. Mm-hmm, there's been a lot of work done on self-compassion, and I think it's something that you practice, mm-hmm. but certainly something that we can get better at. I feel like mindset is everything here. Um, I had a patient who had a massive heart attack, and she got very depressed afterwards. And she was just kind of scared um, to start her life back up again. Like, she knew she had to exercise. She had to go to cardiac rehab. But she said she just felt depressed. So she's like, I know what I need to do, but I'm just not able to do it. How do you get yourself in the right mindset? So is there something like, you know, is reading someone's biography or something motivational? Or do you pick a role model to follow? Or do you get a mentor or, you know, a coach per se? Um, What are some tools that you have to get people in the right mindset for change? Well, mindset is everything. And um, it it really does impact all of us, our mindset. And we have found that um, in depression sometimes the person is really fearful of the past. They're really in the past still and not even in the present moment of acknowledging that they've made it through, for example, the heart attack patient or Mm -hmm. something like that. So really acknowledging where people are in their mindset is one. And, And the other component that we really pull on is what are your strengths? What are you grateful for? And um, gratitude is something that's really being brought across the nation right now in a lot of different mm-hmm. talks about being on stock or health and well-being and really acknowledging what are the things I'm grateful for and focusing on those. Even if it's um, posting a little uh, post-it note on your mirror or on your computer or some on your refrigerator, someplace that you can see every day of what you're grateful for and your strengths. So <laughs> there's all these TED Talks and things about body structure and body poses and, uh, to build confidence. What are your thoughts about that? You know, like having the Superman pose or doing the Wonder Woman pose, it's, it supposedly raises your testosterone and your cortisol levels are reduced. Does it really work, you know, doing these postures before, let's say, you've got a big meeting or, you know, some event? Yeah, so as it turns out, this does really work. This is the work done by um, Ann Cuddy, who's a researcher and psychologist. And she, her research really showed that just spending two minutes in a power pose, like a Wonder Woman or Superman pose, actually does increase your testosterone level and decrease your cortisol. And they really found that by doing this, it increases your confidence and increases your sense of power. And they had all this research to show that, let's say you're going into a, a job interview, you're more likely to get the job if you did your power poses. How long do you have to do that power pose for? <laughs> as little as two minutes. Oh, wow. It even yeah. works with weight loss. Really? When we, yes. When we begin to look at ourselves in the mirror and really look at ourselves and say, I love myself, our body begins to change. I guess your perception starts to change, too. I actually did try that. I watched this TED Talk about, like, different poses. And I think I was, I forgot what I was going into, but some talk I had to give with, like, 500 people, and I was, like, getting super nervous. And I was in the bathroom doing doing these weird poses, and someone else walks in, and she's like, oh, you're doing your power poses. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> no, it actually does work. 
That's great. Um, when it comes to being unstuck, do you see different things with men versus women? I would have to I, – I don't know, Peggy. What do you think? I actually don't see a difference between men versus women. I do – see men actually are a little bit more reserved than women about being stuck and wanting to talk about being stuck. But once they get in the conversations about them when we're coaching, they pretty much have the same um, thought pattern. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In my office, I have um, many female patients are very willing to say, I feel stuck. I want to get out of this. I don't know what to do. Um, but then they like going through that story over and over again, the negative story and reliving again. This is what happened to me. And this is why and they all have the why I'm stuck, but it's difficult to get into action. And maybe I'm in a primary care office. so I don't have the luxury of time to go into those details. But when I have a male patient, I feel like oftentimes, I have to say, so do you feel stuck? Um, And then they might say, you know what? Yeah, I do. And what can I do about it? It's interesting how there's the different uh, framework. So I often think with with the women, it's like the more that you talk about the problems, we think it's good, right? Like you're venting to someone. But sometimes it, it can continue that negative spiral of, of thoughts, right? So you talked about gratitude and the importance of having a, maybe a gratitude journal. And some studies say that if you do write out a gratitude journal where you're just saying um, three things that you're grateful for and you're writing them down every night for a continuous two weeks, it actually changes your mindset to be more positive. Um, and I, I wonder, what is your advice for people who have gone through something traumatic and they feel like they have to tell everyone their story, like, this happened to me and this is what's going on and this is why I'm like this? It's like, how, how long do you sing that sad story before it starts becoming detrimental to you? Yeah, well, I think what you need to do, I mean, you know, if something does traumatically happen to you, I think it's good to share that and get it off your chest. But what you're saying is, you know, it, then it becomes prolonged. Right. And and when do you when do you give the advice to somebody that um, they need to maybe start to reframe it and start to change their story yeah, because, because they're comes, believing it? It becomes like a stored memory. It's like the more right. you pull out that negative right. file, the more negative thoughts you're going to have, and the more energy that's going to suck out of you, and those sort of things. So, it's like how do you know when to stop that? And in certain in certain cases of um, something about trauma or they've had a major. Uh, event and we are coaching them, we actually would refer them to a, a counselor or a licensed psychologist in regards to something that would help them reframe whether it's a different EMDR or a different program that they may need. So let's say um, I want to get a coach. How often should I see a coach and how do you go about getting a coach? So um, that really depends on the individual. Most of the time when I'm working with clients, when I initially work with a client, our coaching sessions are generally closer together. So the first time I work with somebody, I might spend an hour with them that first coaching session. Mm -hmm. And then I might see them a week or two later, and we might spend 30 to 45 minutes. And then ongoing, I might meet with them every two or three weeks or once a month. So as time goes on, I meet with them less often, and the duration is less. Okay, and do you always meet with them live, or is it a Skype or phone, or do you so, find it more effective? If yeah, you... so we do all, we you know, we use all technology. So we can do it in person, we can do it phone, we can do it Skype, we can do it, you know, through a webinar meeting, like a Zoom-based meeting. Um, it all works. It really depends on the individual and what, they com- that, what they're comfortable with. A lot of people feel stuck in weight loss, 
And, you know, I, I feel like for myself, okay, January 1st came around and I was like, okay, I'm going to work out. I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to start meal prepping. I'm going to do everything the right way. Um, and then things come up like, oh, you get out of work late. You don't feel like going. The, the weather gets really bad and you just feel too cold to go outside. Um, so I go to this boot camp um, class and they, they're only offered certain times, um, you know, like a 5.30, 6.30 class. So if I can't make it to that class, I just would not work out at all. So then I decided this year, I'm like, I'm going to get another gym membership that just has the treadmill and all that stuff. So if I can't make it to that class, I can still go to the gym. And I probably did it for about a week. And then I kind of fell off. And now I feel like it's hard for me to get back into it. So and I, I have an event coming up and I keep saying I want to lose weight and be able to fit in this dress and all of this stuff. So am I stuck? Or am I I don't know, am I just procrastinating and getting what I need to get done? Well, I think in your example, what you're saying is that, you know, you have this goal of that you want to lose some weight and you had set some expectation of how you're going to go about doing that. Yeah, I had a great plan. <laughs> but what you did is you kind of got stuck in the execution part. Yes. So what I would take, what I would decide is saying, okay, is the goal that I want to try to just get some movement throughout my week. And the best scenario is that I would go to boot camp. Or if I can't go to boot camp, a better scenario is that I would actually go to the gym. But if I can't get to the gym or boot camp, what's stopping me from walking around the block? Or what's stopping me from walking up and down my stairs? So taking just a baby step to getting more, acti- more activity in my life would be a step forward. Versus yeah. being attached to it has to be an outcome of a certain way. Right. And then also with meal prepping, I feel like you can get in the habit of meal prepping and then all of a sudden you just fall off and then you, you, you're back stuck again and then you, let's say you didn't meal prep so then you're running you know, to Panera and grabbing a soup and then it's a salad and then it becomes a sandwich and then it becomes a cookie and then you just completely lose control um, any any thoughts there Again, I think it goes back to that good, better, and best scenarios. When you're doing the best with your healthy eating, you're meal prepping every week, and that's great. But if you don't have time to meal prep, do you know what your healthy choices are eating out? So eating at Panera, what are the healthy choices that you can make when you get to Panera? Right. Yeah, salads. Maybe probably better so without there's a, dressing. There's always a good choice that you can make. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's the problem is like hard to make those choices or change that mindset. And so we really look, you know, I like to look at with my clients intention. So what is their intention behind wanting to lose weight or even meal planning? What is their intention? And when they discover what their intention is, why they want that, what their intention is. So say it's the example of I want to work out and the boot camp and walking and adding additional movement. Mm -hmm. If the intention behind that leaves you feeling like, oh, this is great. I want to do this versus the intention of this is this is like a, a work or a job yes, like right? it becomes like slavery like right. oh god I'm so depriving if it's myself. adding to our to-do list yeah then our intention really get clear on the intention of what we want to do with it so trying to make it as seemingly seemingly less like in your in your schedule as possible and it's it's the baby steps mm-hmm. it's everyday asking yourself, is this, is what I'm doing moving me closer to or farther away from my intention? So if my intention is to get some kind of movement in, whether it's the boot camp mm-hmm. or the treadmill or walking or the stairs, as Peggy mentioned, whatever the movement is, whatever the movement is, is your, is your actions moving you closer to that intention right. or furthering you away? And every day is a new day. So how important is it to have a vision 
or, you know, making vision boards and that kind of thing? Well, creating a vision or having a vision board can be really, really helpful. The research really shows that you're more likely to accomplish your goals when you do that. And the reason why it's so effective is because when you create a vision board or you create a vision statement for yourself, it really gets you in touch with what the possibilities are and helps you to increase your confidence that you can actually get there. Mm -hmm. And it helps you connect with, okay, this is my vision. And what's this going to feel like for me and look like for me and taste like for me when I get there? And you start to imagine that you're already in that place. And it really can help move people forward to that vision. And then I recommend post it somewhere that you're going to see it often. Mm -hmm. Put it on your fridge. Put it in your bathroom mirror. Put it somewhere where you can see it and connect with it. So you really can get in touch with, yes, this is me. This is me at my best self. And you can have multiple vision boards, I guess. So it was interesting. My friend was telling me that when I told her, I kind of feel stuck sometimes at work. And she said, well, um, did you make a vision board? And I said, well, yeah, I, I made a vision of what I want to do and where I want to be and how I want to do it. And then um, I told her I felt you know, stuck in relationships. And she said, well, did you make a vision board? I said, yeah, I just told you. I made one about what, what I want to do and where I want to be. And she goes, no, no, did you make a, a vision board of what you see in a partner? Or what are the things that you see for yourself in that? And then I thought, oh, I never thought of making a vision board for something outside of work, you know, just different areas of life. What's your vision board for you know, your weight loss or what's your vision board for um, your relationships, et cetera? A- absolutely. I would agree. You know, you can write, you can make a vision board for whatever it's really most important to you at the moment. And where, the, where are the places where you really want to move forward? And how often should you revisit this vision board? Let, let's say you set it up and, you know, let's say I do it once for a whole year. It might be too long or do I need to kind of revisit it every month or so and say, am I there? Do I need to change it? I think the important piece is, is that you need to connect with it often. So whether it's every day or every couple of days or every week or every month, but it needs to be top of mind. And do you ever suggest having someone else look at your vision board? Absolutely. I think that the influence of others is always, you know, as human beings, we're very social. Mm-hmm. And to share that with others, again, you have a vision in your head, but when you put it on a board or you put it in a statement and then you share it with another person, again, it solidifies that vision. You're putting yourself out there. You're putting it out there. What do, you, what do you think of a 360 eval? So, for example, let's say I'm having trouble losing weight um, and just asking the people close to me, like, what do they see my barriers are? Because sometimes we don't see our barriers. But, you know, if I say I don't eat out that often, but then, you know, my cousin will tell me, you eat out like three times a week. You know, that's pretty <laughs> often. Oh, okay, I guess I do. Is that helpful or what do you think? The people around us, sometimes they see the things that we don't see. And one of the things that we do as coaches is we actually do – Um, some imaginary work. So with the clients, we actually ask them questions, a series of questions of what it is like to imagine what it will be like to be moving more, weight loss, in a better relationship, feeling your best life ever, and really take them through the experience. So at the end of the coaching session, they're actually feeling that experience. And then they create their action steps around that. Yeah, and it, it, it helps build confidence that you probably can actually do that. Absolutely. And then the solution then comes from the the client that we're coaching, not us as professionals. So are there any resources for our listeners or tools that can help people get unstuck? Yeah, you know, there's a um, variety of resources out there. Some of my favorites I want to share with you. One is the Self-Compassion website. This is the work done by Kristen Neff, and it's just selfcompassion.org. And she's got tons of... Um, resources out there, exercises that you can do, self-guided meditations and books that she recommends around self-compassion and getting unstuck. 
And then another favorite resource of mine is a book called Creating Your Best Life. And that was written by a life coach, Caroline Adams-Miller. And this um, was really designed to help people set and achieve goals Mm -hmm. and really um, linking goal achievement with happiness and how it um, leads to contentment. So that's another great resource. And then finally, I love this podcast, uh, Life Coach School by um, Brooke Castillo. And she does a um, podcast relating to all kinds of things around well-being and um, emotional regulation and lots of great resources. So those are a few of my favorites. Great. Peggy and Denise, it was so wonderful talking to both of you today. I feel like it was very therapeutic for me personally and um, hopefully for our listeners. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for having us. Don't forget, podcast listeners, we're working on future Beaumont House Call podcasts. We're looking at podcasts on how to care for aging parents, headaches, and unmentionables. Yes, we will be talking about unmentionables. We want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at beaumont.org. In the future, we'll be answering our mailbag. Till the next time, thank you for joining us on the Beaumont House Call. We leave you today with this healthy thought. We've all been stuck in some area of our lives. It's the most frustrating thing. I feel you. I've been there. But we've learned many tools today that can put us back in control and get unstuck. Think about how to build your healthy habit loop and changes you can make to help yourself be motivated. Look at some of the tools that were offered on the podcast today and set your mind in motion towards your vision of who you really are, what you want to be, and what you can be. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.